Section 5 of Here and Hereafter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Here and Hereafter by Barry Payne. The Girl with the Beautiful Hair. By my own unaided intelligence, I chose the exactly right spot at the farther end of the orchard, and with my own hand I slung the hammock. Now that the day is hot and luncheon is over, I take my book and go thither to reap the fruits of my labour. And behold, the hammock is already occupied with four large cushions and one small girl, a solemn and inscrutable girl who hears to the end a complaint of the cruelty and injustice of her trespass, and then says kindly that I may sit on the grass. Thank you. I'm glad you do not want all the grass as well. I do the best that I can with the grass and open my book, and the voice from the hammock bids me to tell a story. What, with no better audience than that? It appears that this is the charm. She has never had a story all to herself before. There once was a girl who had very long and very beautiful hair. As long as yours? much longer and much more beautiful and if you interrupt me again i will stop this story empty you out of the hammock tie you to a tree and teach you as much as i can remember of the french gender rules very well then as i was saying there once was a girl who had very long and very beautiful hair and she knew it her sisters who were as plain spoken as sisters generally are were in the habit of saying that she was a perfect peacock her hair was very much the colour of a chestnut, and she took the greatest possible care of it. It was a rule of life with her, when she had nothing else to do, to brush her hair. Frequently also she brushed it when she had other things to do. She never would have it cut. She even refused a lock of it to her own mother. When she went out for walks with her sisters, she listened attentively as people passed her, because sometimes they said things about her hair which she liked very much. Then she would try not to look pleased, and when a girl who is really pleased tries to look as if she did not care, she looks perfectly horrid. Her sisters remarked upon it. Her father, who was a good and wise man, explained to her how wicked vanity was, especially vanity about one's hair. He showed her that personal attractions, especially if connected in any way with the hair, were worthless as compared with the intellectual and moral attributes. On the other hand, her mother took her to a photographer's and had her taken in fourteen different positions, and they all made such beautiful pictures that the photographer nearly committed suicide because he was not allowed to exhibit them in his shop window. She reached the age at which every good Christian girl wishes to have long dresses and do her hair up into a lump, but this girl, whose name was Elsa, of course, would not have her hair done up, and stamped with her foot and was rude to the governess. In the end, of course, Elsa had to submit, for it is very wicked for girls of a certain age to wear their hair down. But she became extremely ingenious. She had ways of doing that hair so that it would not stop up, but tumbled down unexpectedly, 
and caused great admiration. She would then pretend to be confused and embarrassed. Now, when a girl who is not in the least confused and embarrassed tries to look so, she looks simply silly. Her sisters told her so. Every single girlfriend she had, and many who were only acquaintances, had seen that hair in its native glory. Some of these raved about it to Elsa's sisters, and were surprised that the sisters did not share their enthusiasm. She has such a lot of it, the friends would say. She thinks such a lot of it, the sisters would answer. Now, Elsa and her sisters were not the only girls in the world, and they did not know all the rest. Consequently, a girl called Kate came to them as something of a novelty. As she was called Kate, she was, of course, quite good. Catherine may be proud, and Kitty may be frivolous, but Kate is solid. If you ask me if Kate is clever, I reply that she is a good housekeeper. If you ask me if she is pretty, I change the subject rapidly. There was nothing dazzling about this Kate. She was just Kate. It is a sad truth that it is the people who are naturally the nicest to look at who take the greatest trouble to look nice. The woman who, so far as her face is concerned, makes the best of a bad job is very rare. Kate was not a beauty, but she was sensible and resigned. She dressed herself very quickly in things that wore well. It was her boast that she could do her hair without a looking-glass, and everybody who saw her hair believed it. But as it happened, when Kate met Elsa, a change came over her. "'Your hair is perfectly divine,' she said to Elsa. Elsa tried to be politely bored. "'So kind of you to say so,' she said. I get frightfully sick of my old wig myself. It's an endless bother. And you do it so beautifully, said Kate. I do wish you'd give me some idea for my hair so that it wouldn't look awful. It isn't awful at all, said Elsa politely. I don't think I should change the way of doing it if I were you. Then she went into elaborate technical details and showed Kate that the thing was bad and that improvement was impossible. Of course she did not use these words, and was sweetly delicate about it. Now, that night, as Elsa was having her own hair brushed, a horrible suspicion came over her. She put it aside as a thing perfectly absurd. It might have been a trick of the looking-glass. It might have been her own imagination. It did not keep her awake for a moment. But next morning one of her sisters came into her room, looked at her, and said, "'What an idiot you were to have your hair cut!' "'I have not had it cut,' said Elsa furiously. "'It's the same as it always was.' "'Rubbish!' said the sister. "'It's three inches shorter at least.' "'It's not,' said Elsa, "'and I wish you'd go away. I can't get on properly while you're hanging about talking.' The sister went away, and Elsa flew to the looking-glass. The cold morning light confirmed her suspicions of the night before. Her sister was perfectly right. Elsa's hair was undoubtedly three inches shorter. That afternoon Elsa secretly and surreptitiously went to a great hair specialist. She had seen his advertisement, 
and she felt that here she might at any rate know the worst. He looked at her hair and said that it had become shorter from a shrinkage in the cells, owing to undue epithelial activity of the cranium. It was as well that she came to him when she did. As it was, if she would rub in a little of his relaxative, she would have nothing to fear. He then sold her a fourpenny pot of pomatum for three guineas, washed his hands, and went home to tea. But the pomatum was quite ineffectual. Every day her hair seemed to be a little shorter and a little thinner. This was particularly the case when she had been behaving like a peacock or like a spiteful cat. It reached a point when all her friends who met her exclaimed, "'Why, Elsa, what on earth have you done with your hair?' Then she would smile sweetly and say, "'Brushed it. What did you think?' But inwardly she was a mad woman. About this time she saw the advertisement of the Indian hair doctor, and she thought she could but try. I do not think the man was really Indian. I know he was not really a doctor, and I fancy he did not know much about hair. But he said that Elsa's case was extremely grave, and that in another week she would have been entirely bald. She must take a course of scalp friction. Twelve applications for three guineas the application. She took them, and at the end of the course her hair was nearly all gone. Her temper was quite gone. Her money was almost gone, and she did not want to see anybody or to do anything except die. And then, unwittingly, she did what was best for herself. To escape the sweet sympathy of her friends and relations, she went away all by herself to live in a little cottage in a forest. It is good for a girl who has been seeing too many people to live all by herself for a while. It is good for a girl who has been long in a crowded town to go away into the forest solitude. Your soul must go to the cleaner, just like your gloves. Now that there was no one to sympathize with her loss, and no one to attract by her beautiful hair, even if she had still had it, she could begin to think of other things. And she thought about squirrels, and nuts, and blackberries, and sunsets, and streams that made silvery lines down the green hillsides. And every morning she went, all by herself, to a cottage two miles off, and fetched milk for herself. The old woman who kept the cows at this cottage was tall and old and always polite, but also she was always very sad. She had the face of one who never ceased to suffer. After Elsa had been two months in her cottage, she suddenly saw that this woman had always looked really sad. The sadness of other people had never mattered to her in the least before, but now one day she asked the old woman why this was, and if there were anything that she might do for her. Then the old woman said, I have a daughter, and she was very beautiful. None that saw her ever forgot how beautiful she was and she fell ill of a strange disease so that her whole face became loathsome. No one but I can bear to look on her, lest their dreams should be haunted forever. And she lives here, this poor daughter of yours? asked Elsa. Yes, 
she lies in the room upstairs. They tell me that she will now soon be dead. I will come up and talk to her, said Elsa, and help to nurse her, for you must often be away on your farm. No, said the old woman, that is too much for you to do. I tell you that no one but myself can bear it. You must not see her. Look, said Elsa, and then she took off the big kerchief that she always wore over her head. I had pretty hair once, she said, and I have lost it all. I can bear anything, and I want to help you. Then Elsa went upstairs into a room which was darkened, and even in that dim light she could see that this old woman's daughter, who was once very beautiful, had now become painful to behold. Elsa was frightened, but tried not to show it, and a girl who is frightened, and tries not to show it, very frequently does not look nearly such a fool as she thinks. She remained there a long time, and when she came out her face was quite white, and she wanted to go back to her cottage and cry. But every day after that, until the end came, she went to see the sick girl who loved and adored her, and the end came one afternoon quite quietly, and the old woman did not weep at that time, but she blessed Elsa and went out, for the cows were waiting to be milked, and that must not be left. Next morning, when Elsa awoke, it was very late, and the sun was streaming into her room. For a while she lay with her eyes closed, thinking over all that had happened. Each visit to the sick girl had been a separate terror to her, but now she grieved that the girl was dead, and wondered in her mind if there were none other for whom she might find something to do. At last, since it was a shame to lie so late, she got up, and behold, masses of beautiful chestnut-coloured hair fell far down over her white shoulders. She rubbed her eyes and said that she must be dreaming. But no, it had really happened. Her mirror echoed the truth. The glory of her pretty head had come back to it, as strangely as it had gone. So that afternoon she mused what she would do, as, sitting in the garden of her cottage, she made a wreath of white lilies. And the next day she left her cottage in the wood, and went back to her own home, and her sisters were all delighted to see her, and praised her beautiful hair, and were glad that it had grown again so quickly. Yet one of them said secretly to another, Now she will be as vain and horrible as ever. But as it happened, she was not vain and horrible. She was really quite nice, so that the prince who married her loved her as much for the sweetness of her heart as for her angel's face and her beautiful long hair. End of section 5